The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Michael Bailey and today I am joined by JJ Bull. Hello, Michael. Hello, JJ. I'm also joined by John McKenzie. Hello, Michael. Lovely to see you both. Today, uh, we have spoken about so many wonderful things, such as Julian Nagelsmann, who's been sacked by Bayern Munich. Thomas Tuchel is in, having loitered around in Munich. Uh, Antonio Conte is no longer at Tottenham. That was not a surprise. We spoke about that quite a bit. Uh, Then we entered the world of pure imagination, which means we talked about football hypotheticals, because it was that or international football. We had the Todd Bowley project at Chelsea. What if that failed? What if Jurgen Klopp left Liverpool? Imagine it. We're not saying it'll happen. What if Carlo Ancelotti becomes Brazil manager? That could happen. We're not saying it has, but it could. That's kind of the point. And what if Barcelona's Gavi does indeed become a free agent? Let's pick somewhere for him to go. And if you want to enter the world of not pure imagination and pure fact that is the athletic, then you can indulge yourselves in a 30-day free trial with The Athletic, where you can read lots of brilliant things. Um, What have you guys read recently that was brilliant at The Athletic? That uh, address, by the way, is theathletic.com forward slash TIFO for a free 30-day trial. I've been practicing that. I read a piece by Dr. Mark Carey, good friend of ours. Is he a doctor? He is a doctor. doctor Is he? Life. What is he a doctor of? Has he just told you he's a doctor? science, but it's... it's, uh, it's I can't remember. It's, it's something... He's a Doctor of Philosophy from the University of Science. <laughs> That's right. Uh, is that... Yeah, that could be what you said. I, I wanted to Mark say... Perry. I wanted to say psychology, but... But you didn't. I, Surely it's maths and numbers or something no, like you, that. I think you'd be stats, surprised. We can probably stats. find it out. I've gone on his LinkedIn, which is somehow translated into Ukrainian. But um, yeah, he's really? a doctor. <laughs> he, has a doc, he has a PhD in psychology from the University of York from the years 2015 to 2018. Anyway, I read his piece on, he's, he's written a piece on goal kicks, which is really interesting, the way that they're, they're, they develop tactically, how it impacts the game. So very heartily recommend that you read that and all of his stuff because he's a great all-round chap. He's a brilliant bloke, by the way. Uh, that's lovely. It's nice to do the world of pure imagination. I went to Capri World on the, the weekend. It was very nice. What, you guys? Is it just like the Chocolate Factory from Roald Dahl's book? Willy Wonka? No, there's no waterfall. I had to tell my five-year-old not to expect How many it. children died on the, on <laughs> yeah. the journey? No, they were all fine, generally. Yeah. Uh, no, Did no, you leave any abandoned in the factory? Were any of them selfish and mm. therefore incurred the wrath of, of Willy Wonka himself? No, they were, all, they were all fine. No one stole any gobstoppers. But I did bring you guys back some Freddos. You did. You did. So Poison Freddos? We'll find out. We'll see who's on next week. After the break. <laughs> Speaking of which... <laughs> Let's leave you in the cool hands and warm embrace of Fredo the Frog. Before we get into our contrived hypotheticals i reckon we should get into some actual news although imagine if we'd said what if Bayern munich sacked julian nagelsmann what if john what if that had happened it happened it did happen it happened this weekend and it was all very surprising no one knew what was going on happened on a thursday night quite late 
if, if I remember. Do you think it probably time? leaked a bit early? But yeah, Julian Nagelsmann is gone. Thomas Tuchel is here. Long live the chief, or whatever they say. But yeah, really strange because in many respects, Julian Nagelsmann's had a pretty good period at Bayern, and Bayern certainly spent a lot of money bringing him in to the club. So yeah, they they dropped off the top spot for one week and. Um, uh, that that was enough for the higher ups to to move him on. Still in the Champions League, being quite good in the Champions League. Um, so I suppose the big question is like how how bad do you need to be playing well in order to keep your job now at the really elite level? They they lost to Bayern Leverkusen, uh, Bayern Leverkusen, which got mentioned on last week's pod. But you were quite excited about them facing Manchester City because of all the tweaks that were going to happen between Pep Guardiola mm. and Nagelsmann. So no one sort of anticipated it. So why why did it happen then, JJ? Why why have they sacked him? They'd have been all right, wouldn't they? They invested a lot of money in him. Well, I don't know. If there's any there's only things we've read that aren't official reasons, but it seems to be that people in charge of Bayern just didn't like the general vibe. <laughs> That's kind of what it is. Things mentioned like his mode of transport to training on a oh. longboard rather than taking a car or I don't know uh, something like something else. That's there. I mean, they they play in a. Bayern Munich have played a certain way for a long time with the, lots of wing play with inverted wingers coming inside the like Iron Robin. It's just kind of what they had. And then when Pep Guardiola was there, he put in place that very positional type of play that was a little bit different to what uh, Jupp Heynckes had done before. But and he, and Guardiola came in off the back of them winning a treble and, it, and Guardiola then changed that to be more of the positional base. And they've just tried to develop from there, trying to give it a real... Is that that um, is it Marty Paranau, Paranau, like his book on it, and they talk about how they wanted to, to establish the Bayern sense of play by using Guardiola's principles to then make it a bit German and take a, a usage of all the things. Like in German football, a lot of the the best teams are really good in transition on the counter attack, so that's where the Bundesliga is. A lot of the action happens from back to front. Teams are really good at exploiting team transition, which is why you get coaches like. Uh, Tuchel and Klopp and Nagelsmann who excel in things like high press and winning the high the ball high up the pitch and you see there's a few things with Bayern Munich this season where they're not winning every game as normally they would they're not just walking their way through it they've won 10 leagues in a row they should win every single thing and Nagelsmann's trying to change the way he would normally do things to being slightly different to what he's used to Like he's there's quotes he's got from previous jobs where he says that 30% of coaching is tactics 70% is social competence and then looking at the individual needs of players and how that changes at different clubs. And probably the higher you go up, the more difficult or not difficult, but more things maybe you need to do to deal with different individuals. Like if you're dealing with a team at RB Leipzig who aren't at the, they're not, not as much as demanded of them as is of Bayern. If you lose one game, it becomes front page news, which is the weird thing. Actually, I was looking at that, that loss to Bayer Leverkusen and uh, I can do a, a massive pro-VAR rant off the back of it. Yeah, let's go. In like, <laughs> um, well, let me tell you because it was thirty-five w- seconds. <laughs> yeah, I can do it really quickly. Let me just find my thing that I did. Um, right. So, an example of like how hard it is for being a Bayern Munich manager. They should win every single game. Now, Bayern were winning one nil up, and there's you see all the things that Nagelsmann is doing in this game. They're playing a very narrow. It's like a three-five-two. It, it basically the, the the numbers don't matter. Like they generally generally don't. But lots of players are very tight together in very small parts of the pitch. You're trying to make everything like a five-a-side game. So you don't have lots of width, uh, what's called relative width. So they're trying to so rather than have wingers hugging the touchlines, getting chalk on their boots, they've got the wide players will be just the other side of where the opposition's widest player is. So the idea being you've got loads of players around, so you get really short, fast combination play, like wall passes, one-twos, ways to get in behind and confuse the defence. 
But when you lose the ball, you can surround them because you've got everyone there. And that's how they're playing. That was what they were doing before. And now they're trying to make it a bit slower and be able to build up and use the individual characteristics of players who are good in build up and approach play. So like real creative players that Bayern have. So they can do special things with the ball. Have we started the VAR bit yet? It's all part of it. Okay. Well, the whole thing is it's doing it. That is your original question with Nagelsmann <laughs> and, uh, and how they play. So this is what he's trying to do now. He's, he's trying to deal with the tactical stuff that he likes, but also the individual characters he has and how he needs to manage them. Now, they're playing Bayer Leverkusen, who are not going to win the league. Uh, Bayern are probably going to win the league still, even though they're top here. But uh, they take the lead. And they're doing that thing they do and they turn over the ball a few times. But when Bayer Leverkusen are able to play past this very narrow shape they've got and get out, which they can do if they're good players, which they have, they can then break and hit in the counter-attack as German football is very good in transition. So then uh, Bayer break up the other end of the pitch and uh, Adley, I can't remember his first name. Do you know his first name? It's not Yassin, it's the other one, isn't it? Um, Adley, yeah, Adley at Bayer. I want to find out what his first name is. Adley, oh, God, um, is it Amin? Amin. Amin Adley, there Amin. we go, right. So he a very tricky quick player gets in behind the defence goes down in the box the referee comes on instantly and says that is a dive you are booked for simulation um, he's very angry about it and takes his shoe off and throws it to the ground in frustration he's Fantastic. absolutely furious his, the referee sees his it shoe, he's, he, and his he shoe was, get raked down the, the back of his leg and his shoe actually popped off right so he was angry because he was like yeah, my took, shoe hasn't just come off well, this is it the wasn't thing. just that he took his shoe off I mean that would be a new level of protest yeah, to would, take the time yeah. I'm just going to throwing un- shoes is a, undo is a my shoe tried and tested method of protest <laughs> so. it's a thought anyone's George, at the ground the George yeah. Bush thing right but there's a lot of laces to undo although the modern boot yeah the modern boot fair point but this is, this is the thing, right? The modern so, boots. <laughs> now, traditionally, all the big teams get the the, the, the the rub of the green from the referees. I think it's often yes. because it's what you should expect to happen. If it's a big team versus a small one, it's probably like it's probably it's more safer. likely. It's safer to make a decision that's less impactful. Exactly, right? but it's like subconscious. You're inside, so yeah, it's right. like it's, it makes it easier, maybe because you know it's not going to be. If you make a decision against Bayern Munich, you're then on the front page of the paper. Yeah, that's the kind of thing we're dealing with. It's not like doing them purposefully. I think it's subconscious, but this so. Nagelsmann's playing the way he wants to play. They've been hit on the counter-attack because almost as a result of how they're trying to play, which is fine. It's just a thing you accept. And then the guy goes down. They review it in VAR. It's clearly a penalty. It's a penalty. The yellow card is rescinded. That's fine. Now, that, that's like a butterfly effect moment, right, where then that thing they're drawing, so it changes the game state. Now Bayern are not in control. can hit on the counter if they want to. They don't have a lead to protect. They're now equal. They, want, they have to go and push, and they've got a bit of pressure on. And then, so you think that's bad enough. The later in the same game, maybe like 10, 20 minutes into the second half, almost exactly the same thing happens again. Adley gets through, um, gets scythed down by, I think it's Open Meccano, cuts him down. It's, uh, he gets booked for a dive again. The referee, no doubts about it. And Adley just sits there laughing because he <laughs> knows it's a penalty. And then the review on VAR, it's a penalty, yellow card rescinded. And Bayer win that game 2-1 from two penalties that they wouldn't have got without the use of VAR. And then, you know, off the back of all the things they don't like about Nagelsmann, that's like the final straw. But that's just things not going his way with... They're refereeing things in the past. If there hadn't been VAR, Nagelsmann might still be in a job. (laughs) VAR VAR effectively sacked Julian Nagelsmann. He's not getting done off the back of one result. But if you're already a bit annoyed at what's going on and then you don't win that game, like that's the small details that then might have affected what the narrative is because they're now second in the league. Dortmund have taken advantage. They have, which seemed seemed to catch me out a little bit because they've got a lot of points in the last few months, Dortmund. They've, they've been on a, a hell of a run. Uh, Bayern Munich also lost to Daniel Farker's uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach in recent weeks. Wow. So Why are you bringing up go. Daniel Farker? 
out of interest. Right. It's, you know, it's Daniel Farker, isn't it? <laughs> um, which is great. And that's so that Nugglesman's gone. There we go. But this was a guy that they were supposed to be buying, building around. He said they spent a huge amount of money to get him in. Was it I think the summer 20, just gone? Was it the one before? It was the one before. Four. So he had a full season of playing the sort of standard positional stuff that, that JJ was talking about that you've come to expect from from elite football. He's kind of an interesting guy because he comes through the, the Red Bull school. Um, goes that through, big school. Starts out obviously at Hoffenheim, um, but goes to RB Leipzig. And at RB Leipzig is playing positional football, which is what you're not you're not going to expect to see at RB Leipzig. And then he comes to Bayern. He does a season of 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 uh, of, of positional play stuff. And you you may remember they got knocked out to Villarreal in the Champions League, um, playing a really sort of structured positional game. Um, so a, a three one six sort of shape in possession uh, and the same sorts of things happen that JJ is talking about there which is you know you control the game for long periods and then you always have the the ability to be hit on the break comes back at the beginning of this season and he's decided to use more of this relative width that, that, that JJ is talking about rather than this notion of maximum width, width which is like stretching out the back line as much as possible and generating space that you can then exploit it's more about you know having your your, your wide players quite narrow and getting everyone as centrally compact as possible being able to use the skill sets of, of the players that you have to, to actually do quite direct attacking through the middle there's a quote actually quite helpful quote from a piece by Clarissa Bacala which is titled Julian Nagelsmann The Good, The Bad and The Ugly which I've shared on my Twitter, so if people are interested, go there. But there's a quote from Danny Olmo here where he says, talking about Julian Nagelsmann's time at the beginning of this season, he says, here we play closer together, we rely on each other so we can give the game more speed. If we play, play more spaced out, so more positionally, thinking about the areas on the pitch that you're playing, we can't play as fast as the coach wants us to. That's why we want to play as close together as possible possible almost like five-a-side football the smaller the space the better because the ball moves faster we attract more rivals that way but we need to know how to play under pressure if we succeed we open bigger spaces and we're able to attack with more depth so it's this idea of attacking centrally drawing in the, the team and then having the ability to go wide relatively rather than uh, than, than through this sort of positional idea of maximum maximum width as well so he was playing a different different style of football and it was largely working quite well there was games where it didn't work out and um, there was periods where you know, it's not it's not a clear break from this style of play to the World Cup and then coming back and playing a different way. There is a bit of experimentation there, but after the World Cup, Nagelsmann is moving back towards this more positional style of play again. Whether or not that's because the expectation is is that you need to look like an elite team, I don't know. But um, I think that's the, the the most interesting tactical story this season has been Julian Nagelsmann switching his style of play quite drastically across the World Cup. Yeah, you end up with like the right winger playing near to the left and not, like, just weird things where people are all gathered around the ball. And then that, there's the, the question that maybe comes out of that is then if you've got players as good as Bayern Munich and you walk the league, why do you need to do this? Like it works, but it needs time, I think, to then put that in place and really make it function. Like this idea he has, uh, which is different to what you, you really see anywhere else, I can't think of anyone else doing exactly the same thing he's doing, then... It does. You don't need to do that. Like smaller teams, it might get a huge advantage because then they have this uh, uh, advantage in that they play a system that people can't work out, and it, it creates chaos. If you have loads of great players like Müller, Sané, like Sané plays a midfield now and again at the moment. So you have all these players who you wouldn't normally expect to be there. You've got players who swap positions constantly. They appear in their wrong position. You'd think, but it's to do with their individual skill sets. It creates a bit of chaos. It's very hard to defend against. But without, well, for me, I think you need like width is really important. If you don't have width then it all goes through a central or a very narrow um, channel. And to me, in my head, that makes it easier to defend against. 
Yeah, I, I think there's two things going on here. One is that we need to remember in the first season he's still got Lewandowski, which I think impacts the way that you're going to play. Yeah. Um, not only because when you have a player with his sort of skill set, then it's it's easier to play a positional approach, I think. But also because I think Lewandowski has played in that system for years at Bayern. And so there's probably an element of him saying, this is how we always played and this is how I like to play. So we're, we're going to play that way. The, the second thing is, like, I wonder whether or not this was done in mind with the Champions League because as I mentioned before Bayern got knocked out by Villarreal playing a very uh, positional style of play and Villarreal were able to break that down I wondered whether or not he thought right we've we're at this nice juncture where Lewandowski's gone so we don't need to necessarily play with like a target man striker or a central striker yeah um we can go to being a little bit more fluid in terms of what we're doing in, in the forward areas. And this will actually set us up quite nicely for the Champions League where everyone, all the elite teams are really playing in this positional way. This will maybe upset the the apple cart a little bit. Um, and weirdly, like, they've done quite well in the in the Champions League this season and got quite, got, got quite far, whereas it's been the league which has suffered. And I wonder whether or not in approaching this season, he sort of thought, you know, we're going to win the league, whatever, let's, try and develop the style of play which is going to help us win the league it's the almost league. like um picking a character on street fighter or something <laughs> so right if you're just a general all-round good player like like ryu or something like that like the most general average one you can get right it's my favorite one <laughs> but then that depends on him just being the best one but then you get some of them who are really like chun lee's very fast and quick right very and then you've got a uh, um what's his a zangief really heavy and slow, but very powerful. So you've got different individual styles. So I guess if you give yourself an individual style, you might be able to win by doing that exact thing rather than covering all bases because covering all bases doesn't maybe give you a particular advantage. And if you don't have the best individual players, which, I mean, they've got one of the best teams in Europe, clearly. But if you're up against, I don't know, I don't know, it makes it different. It gives you a bit of something extra possibly, so it might give you that advantage because they don't win the Champions League as much as maybe they would expect to considering how much they dominate in Germany. So it's 10 years in a row, right? It's kind of broken. So then how do you, can you do that in Europe? Is it possible? Well, I mean, Bayern Munich clearly didn't think so because they sacked him. And I suppose it's one of the points in this that Thomas Tuchel was sort of in people's ears saying, ah, oh, hello, <laughs> Thomas Tuchel here. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, free. <laughs> I'm it, free. It did feel as though the rumours were that Spurs were going to approach Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel was living in Munich. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think you're going to say someone's Bayern. head. Um, no, no, he was living in Munich um, since the last few months or so. Uh, and I Did think he live there before? Worried. Or had he literally gone, I'm going to live here well, and then hopefully I'll get the job? If in... I loiter around long enough, <laughs> they might give me the job. He used to live in London, I believe. Um, before he got the job at Chelsea? Not before then, no, but he did have that job for a while and I suspect he probably lived there when he was, when he was coaching. Yeah, himself. I'm thinking more than run-up anyway. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't know, but th- there's also the backstory, which is that when, when Bayern en- en- actually went for Niko Kovac in, I think it was 2018, I think I'm right in saying, they'd wanted to get Tuchel or they considered getting Tuchel and then decided they had some misgivings about it and then Tuchel went and joined PS- PSG. And so I think this time around they were probably thinking, oh, you know, this guy's going to is, is going to move on quickly, so let's make the most of him being here. So, uh, on the one hand, you, you kind of think, have they jumped the gun a bit? And I, I, I'm always going to say yes because I always think that, you know, if a manager, if you've got a smart manager who's clearly got tactical ideas, you should always give them time. But I understand why they didn't. I wonder whether or not it's just the the, the miserable uh, other side of the coin for modern football being super moneyed that even now big teams are just going to be like, we need to win 
the league. So we're going to make a short term decisions to to make sure things happen. So I think that there's a sense in which Julian Nagelsmann may be upset a few people at, at the club. I never really know what to say about these sorts of things because like it's the part and parcel, I think, of, of coaching an elite squad is that there's always going to be players who are angry because they're going to feel as though they're not being played enough because you can't play all of them all the time. So I wonder whether or not there's there's an element there's an element of that going on, but I also think that the there's obviously players who the players were surprised. Like uh, I don't know if you saw the Joao Cancelo post match no. interview for Portugal, where he found out in that interview that that um, Nagelsmann had been fired, and then there's a there was I think uh, Leon Goretzka and uh, Joshua Kimmich were both uh, in the press saying they were disappointed with the, with the decision or they were and they were surprised with it. But obviously, like there's going to be some people who like him in the squad, some people who don't. So I think it's probably more to do with the the way that the the higher ups at Bayern have have perceived him, uh, and that's kind of done for him at the end, along with some of these these results. Which, as JJ's pointed out, like it feels as though they're they're part and parcel of what it means to be a, a positional coach, right? Is that we sit with Guardiola all the time, right? They'll batter Everton and Everton will have one shot and score and it's 1-1 and you've dropped points and then it looks like Arsenal are winning the league. And I think the same sort of thing has happened here in the, the um, Nagelsmann's got the team playing pretty good football, but occasionally they get kiboshed by by one of these, you know, outsider events. And so I, I'm sort of in, in, on the fence a little bit because I can't, I kind of feel as though he probably will be fine if they kept him a few more seasons. But yeah, they've just drawn a few too many games. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I suppose they've basically gone, well, we've tried that. We gave it, you know, almost two years. Ah, let's get back to what we need to do. And Thomas Tuchel will now turn Bayern Munich into the... Bundesliga victors. Well, it's that. Bayern Munich expect them to win every single game. It's it's that kind of broken. Is that it should be that you win every single game. Like in Scotland, if Celtic don't win, there's a massive investigation into how that possibly happened. It's VAR's fault. The same sort of thing. But would Manchester City now be a bit like, oh, great. Because they obviously faced Bayern in the Champions League last 16. Well, and Chelsea's Tuchel. Tuchel's, Chelsea, Tuchel's Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> Tuchel's Chelsea beat them in the final. Yes. So bad memories. Yes, I, I guess the I, I guess the way that they'll be looking at it is he's not going to have a huge amount of time to work with this squad after even despite the fact that it's a, been an international break. So uh, to me, it almost feels like they've they've tried to increase their chances of winning the Bundesliga by reducing the chances they have of winning the Champions League, which seems weird to me because it feels as though the Champions League is the one that they probably would prefer. But uh, again, you know, this is this is going to go one of two ways, right? Like Tuchel will win everything and everyone will be like, wow, this is incredible, or he won't and they'll be like, oh, this is a disaster. And well, I mean, they could win one and not the other. They could do that, that's true. Um, but I, wonder what they, they what, I wonder what they would think if they won the, the Bundesliga but lost the Champions League. Normal service resumed, I think is what they would think. I suppose so. Um, I loved you saying part and parcel. It did remind me of, <laughs> is it Brian's Gun, the Twitter uh, account? Okay. Where he, they put together lots of clips of people saying the same part thing. And, parcel. and there's this, yeah, part and parcel was one of them. And I just kept thinking, oh, I yeah. saw a tweet by part Brian Gunn um, well, ce- yes. celebrating his son. Indeed, Brian, Angus playing for his, Scotland. Making, yeah, Everything comes back to Norwich, doesn't it? And that's Everything the end of your international football roundup. <laughs> Um, so that's grand. Uh, we did Thomas Tuchel. So Nagelsmann, where does he go next? I saw a uh, I saw a tweet from an excellent uh, up and coming journalist. Oh yes, Seb Stafford-Bloor. It was. <laughs> he tweeted in this situation. It'd be interesting to know which club performs the biggest overreach for Nagelsmann, as in who makes the call to offer him a job but just gets sent reflexively. Just sent. Well, I can't read. Your, just gets sent 
reflexively. I've never said a word reflexively before. Uh, to voicemail. It's interesting that you're reflecting on the fact that you've never said it before, making it really quite Reflective. circular. Indeed. Mm. So, uh, obviously, most people replied to uh, Seb's tweet by thinking about Spurs. But, you know, Nagelsmann, what, what happens next? Because when you have a situation and an experience like this, it throws up all the questions, doesn't it? Like what? <laughs> like where next? That is maybe the question. For Nagelsmann. What, what, does he, what, what happens to him now? Uh, I'd imagine he he goes again. He goes again <laughs> and gets a new job somewhere else later. He's got to go and prove himself, hasn't he, somewhere else? I don't think he has to prove anything. No. no, I don't think he has, he has to, to prove anything. Doesn't have to prove anything? High-level tactical at manager. All? No, nothing Amazing. You think he might... I mean, the biggest job in Germany is Bayern Munich. That was his dream job. So now that is... Obviously, he might just retire. <laughs> he could do. I mean, he's... Was he 35? He could have a bit of fun. Yeah. He's so he could retire from management at the same age most players retire from Certainly the amount of yeah. payout that he's got from these... Uh, he's this, got a bit of cash job. to play yeah, with, yeah. He's probably going to be all right in the long run, I would suspect. He could go and just play like Call of Duty for the next month and have a great time. Okay. I wouldn't actually. The new one's not very good. <laughs> anyway, uh, so he, he'll end up somewhere else. Likely, like Tottenham want to get him. Like, that's The thought is that they like Nagelsmann because you would, because he's young, determined... He has youthful exuberance and energy and has great ideas and can manage people. Like he's a really valuable manager in waiting. But would he want to go and go from the biggest job, one of the biggest jobs in world football with Bayern Munich, where you should and are expected to win everything you compete for. Champions League accepted. You don't expect to win that, but you know they want them to be very high on, along. Whereas Spurs, you could argue, under Conte, have, well, there's a glass ceiling of fourth place where you can't really get above that unless you do something special and other teams uh, drop their level. And then the, the, the time they broke through that fourth place ceiling when Pochettino was in charge, Spurs didn't have Klopp's Liverpool at full pace. They didn't have Guardiola's Man City at full pace. Man United sort of disappeared. They came up and down again with Mourinho and, and OGS during that time. But now at Spurs, if you're, what is success for Spurs? Probably top four. Getting above that is very difficult because then you have to compete at the level of Man City and Guardiola's not going anywhere. Um, Arsenal are now there. They took the hit for a couple of years and it's really worked. And now they are comfortably one of the best three teams. Well, the best team in the league this year, aren't they? Uh, Klopp's Liverpool will be back. No doubts about that whatsoever. They're just not here now. This is the time there's a window to finish third. And then you've got Man United around there. Chelsea will be back at some point. Newcastle have loads of investment and will be competing up there. And then there's always teams randomly who perform better than you want to. So if you're Spurs, you've got to really overperform. And they've done that for many years because Kane and Son have overperformed for many, many years. That's a big reason. And I think I was talking to uh, Jack Pitbrook, maybe Charlie Eccles here I was talking to last week. And you think about, like, when you have Harry Kane, who's overperforming as much as he does, just a great player. So the great players always overperform. But you have that player, you kind of can't finish below 6th or 7th because his goals alone will get you to that level then you add in Sun Hoon Min and then some good players around it and you're already going to have a bit of fun and then when you have I mean what Pochino finished 3rd then 2nd and 3rd and these years he had was Leicester won the league that was a weird year <laughs> then you had Conte's Chelsea won the league which they were you know they just transformed halfway through the season and were amazing um, when they lost to Arsenal or whatever and half time he changed to that system which has then become his system and then after that you've got Klopp and Man City just both of those just taking the league away so if Nagelsmann goes in there he could do his his uh, really fun tactical changes it would take time lots of time to make that work does it work in the Premier League is one thing because it's not like you can try it at Bayern when you are expected to win every single game because you're probably going to win anyway 
But if you try and do that at Premier League and then after three games it's not working, then what do you do? Do you, do you persist with it? Because it damages your reputation? I've point first, Ed. What's that? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, what do you do, though? Like, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, I think that... I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in how much of an impact Arsenal's trajectory is going to have on how other teams approach the Premier League in future because... We, we talked about this before we were recording, but you know, you said, what have Spurs got to do to compete? Well, they've got to compete against Man City, but also Arsenal are up there as well. But like last season, Arsenal weren't up there. They what they've done is they brought in a coach who who's implemented good ideas, and they've they've been able to slowly build a, a better squad, and now they've been challenging for for the the Premier League title. So I wonder whether or not spurs will be looking at that and thinking you know this is a manager who could do the same sort of thing it's a an exciting young manager with with it with ideas that clearly are gonna bear fruition at some point why not get Julian nagelsman in to be our Mikel arteta because i think we've we talked last week on the podcast about how pochettino took spurs from being like a mid-table side to being a top four challenging side and then they they achieved that and then promptly stopped spending money on their squad uh, and then thought when when things went bad they were like well you know we thought we'd broken the system a little bit with Pochettino but what we need now is an elite coach so they brought in they, their Antonio Conte and they they brought in their Jose Mourinho and obviously that didn't work so I wonder whether or not Nagelsmann is a kind of a quite nice straddler of those two things right a, a young up-and-coming coach with great ideas but also a coach who has got elite experience as well and, and is viewed as as being an elite coach in that sense so it could be quite nice for Spurs if they can get him but I think the problem is is if they can get him right because there's plenty of other clubs around who will probably be wanting to get his signature as well namely Real Madrid is the, is the name that's been talked about a lot so Whoa. there's going to be a weird situation right where we're going to get to the summer and potentially Madrid could be without a manager as we'll talk about in a, in a, in a bit uh, but also, people are talking about Chelsea, and Chelsea are saying that they're going to stick with Potter forever, forever. <laughs> but That's what I know, said a few the, weeks there's ago. the possibility that they see Nagelsmann on the on the market and think, you know, if we're going to move him on, uh, as as we've said with 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 Nagelsmann being moved on for Tuchel, like, the same thing could happen here. So I think that what Nagelsmann's going to do is he's going to wait until the summer, chill out a little bit. Um, How's he going to do that? Probably hang out. Probably go probably go and, I don't know. He'll probably take a break, and then he'll probably go and view some training sessions for big coaches around Europe. that's what you do isn't it you, you just do. say can i just yeah. come and have a look at your training sessions carlo but then yeah he'll be sat in the summer and be like right let's just wait for the office to come in and see what i'm presented with the ball is definitely in his court i think when it comes to as another idiom for you but you know i think they should they should just he'll, he'll just be pretty happy with with the way things are really i mean he won't be happy that he's been fired but <laughs> he'll i think he'll feel quite confident that he will be able to take his pick of jobs in the summer yeah exactly that's, that's the thing so if you then go into someone like spurs and it doesn't work that really damages your chance in the future to get a job at real madrid because even though the higher-ups will think he's clearly still a good choice it doesn't look good with fans if you think he's failed terribly somewhere. That's why the job is a... You don't want to take a job that's a risk, do you? That's yeah. the thing. You need to take a job where you are going to look good. Well, it's really hard. Like, I mean, when Pochettino went into Spurs, keep talking about Pochettino, but when he went in, like, it, it, mid-table... You don't like but, him, do you? Was that... No, it's not that. I think there's a lot of complications around it. Like, I think he... It, things went very well for him, but he also did very well with what he had. I know you defended yourself. But when he, yeah, but when he came in, I mean, they were finishing, they finished fifth and sixth, then he joined them. So that's where they were. And it was... They were already fine, really. They'd come out of the back of... Like, the whole history of that, I think, is interesting, where Spurs... Because Spurs are in the new era of being a massive club. Like, they are a huge club now. We should, of, I feel like we should say Antonio Conte has been sacked by Spurs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> today, which is sort of why we're talking about them. Yeah, yeah. Which is fine. We were going to get there anyway. Yeah. 
I mean, there is also this idea that Harry Kane might leave in the summer as well. Which well, would, I mean, you'd then go into that club without Harry Kane. And then what, do you, well, maybe, yeah, it's a thing, because like, oh, if I go yeah. right right back to uh, Spurs before Pochettino, I mean, you went from Harry Redknapp was in charge. So they won the League Cup in 2008. It was the last trophy they won. That's the last thing they won. And Conte's rant was about there being a lack of a winning culture over the last 20 years, right? Sure enough. So th- what you have is they won the League Cup with Juan de Ramos. No one liked the football. Juan de Ramos. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And then after it's that, it's funny, isn't it? Teams always win with random managers like Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chelsea, they bang on about trophies, but then it's like, yeah, Roberto Di Matteo won the Champions League, and everyone's just like, "Yo, Chelsea won won the Champions League." <laughs> Don't ask who. Keep going around. Champions <laughs> League manager, winning <laughs> yeah. manager, exactly. Juan de Ramos. But then Harry Redknapp uh, had this little player called Gareth Bale who came through and became one of the absolute best in the world. Overperforms his XG incredibly. He was about signed as a as a fullback. As a fullback, played as a fullback for a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Then the winger then became a central attacking forward. Basically. They didn't win with him in the team. No. He was the fault. He was the problem. Well, he he, he shot them right up. He, he was amazing, Bale. He carried them. And Modric was there as well, remember. So you had these two amazing players there at the time. Didn't and, have the winning mentality, though, until, yeah. he, until he went to Real Madrid. And then he got the winning mentality. So it all started exactly with it. sacking Juan de Ramos. Well, you go. And then Redknapp to, uh, what was it, AVB? And then Sherwood. Then Sherwood for a bit. And then, yeah, and then you end up with, with uh, Pochettino who comes in. And then that's when they, at the same time he comes in, Harry Kane comes through. And obviously Pochettino helped him develop. So it's a bit of... So did Norwich. Yes, absolutely. But Kane, you know, Kane was going to go with that that strategy anyway. You can't be that good unless you are already on that plane on the, on the way up. So then, then they get really good. But because of that era where Pochettino had things going his way, where he didn't have massive Klopp and Guardiola teams to play against, there was a space to take up, which he did very well, but couldn't quite get over the line. Not his fault. They didn't invest in certain windows, two of the three windows before he left, and they didn't get any players. And then when he left, he left the squad a bit in balance. But that Champions League peak was the result of lots of work to get to the final over time. And then, because teams naturally need to be refreshed and recycled, that was probably the end of the cycle. And so then they've come at the back of that. They're now a big new team, a big stadium, huge, amazing training ground. But they've got Kane and Son now, who are probably just at the peak of their careers or just maybe about to dip over it. Maybe Kane will get three more years out of him properly. Let me help you. He'll be fine, actually. He drops deep. But you know what I mean, that sort of thing. But if you go in, you don't have the same things in place but yet maybe they'll just randomly turn up because they do in football. It's, it feels like they're a bit lost, Tottenham, um, in the word of, in the title of the famous children's book, A Bit Lost, which is a very nice book. But anyway. Uh, is it a I, Julia Donaldson one? It's not. It's, Does it rhyme? I think it's Oliver Jeffers. What's the... Or Chris Horton, one of them. It's just lovely. What's the, what's the book? Um, it's, uh, about, uh, it's about a bird that falls out of his nest and then various animals have to help. The bird. We asked which them, animals. Can, can you find? Well, I've got to try and remember them. Can you find my mother? She's got really big ears. Oh yes, of course. Here's your mother. I think it's a bunny helping them out. Here's yeah. your mother, and it's uh, a rabbit. Well, it's obviously he's a little owl. Obviously, you knew that, right? Uh, so it's like, well, that's not my mother. That's a rabbit. Oh, okay. <laughs> my mother's got big eyes. Oh, right. No, I have seen your mother. I'll go. I'll go and. Uh, I'll go and get him, and then she turn up. It's a frog. Here's your mother. No, it's a frog. Seems to be exactly. a common trait in, 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 in a lot of children's novels. Because uh, I've, I've been I've been back at my with my family for the weekend, so I've read a few books. And well, um, <laughs> one of the one of the lost. most surprising children's literature developments in recent years is this. That's not my format, right? So that's not my B. It's back is too fluffy. Ah, but that's right. a very sensory book. You get to yeah, you get to stroke yeah. the the book. But yeah. in terms of like the intellectual idea, there is that it's similar to this: is that you can't just say my mother is this. You have to be like, well, it's not that. 
you know, it's it's all like exclusionary de- well, definitions. It's, it's just like tell me who your mother is and I'll find her. Don't need to be like, well, she's not got this, she's but, not got that. Well, what has you you've know? Got to preoccupy the child for like ten minutes That's if you true. read slowly. So you've got to build it up like a jigsaw. You don't need puzzle. to though because we. I read that book and we got to the end and immediately my one my one year old niece was like right back to the beginning. We read that book about three hundred times. Yes, John. And it it, it yes. didn't get any better. Actually, I think I have read this book and then at the end of it, it turns out his mother was Julian Nagelsmann. <laughs> Yes. Isn't it? Who yeah. then? Uh, yes, and and Julian. That's takes not my them. Ma- that's not my manager. But yeah. And then you get to the end, and it is Julian Nagelsmann. They, they go through all along. Nuno Espirito Santo. That's not. He's too bald. That's not my manager. It's uh, Antonio Conte. He's you know. Too bald. <laughs> we're getting uh, the come on from Steve to get on. What were we talking about? Yes, yeah, Spurs. So like uh, you said there's a culture. There's a culture. Uh, they're a bit lost. They're a bit it. lost. Yeah. yeah, they're a bit lost because they, they they've got everything around them to be this really great huge club, but they it's just not there on the pitch. They've hired managers to make them. And that yeah but they haven't got the team and when you then lose it becomes really difficult now because if you start losing the genuine elite players how do you replace them you've got to spend the money you've got to do it wisely have they got the finances other than the clothes <laughs> to be an elite team I, I mean i yeah i think they they do but as we've seen from arsenal like you do need to spend time building a a, a, a winning team I, I don't want to say a winning mentality because I think it's just more often than not it's about the practicalities right it's about, it's about being lucky enough to have players come through your youth system who are good you've talked about Harry Kane we could say the same with Arsenal with someone like Bukayo Saka someone someone like that you know turns up on your doorstep and you're 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 quite you're quite lucky that when that sort of thing happens but so much of it has got to do with ha- being able to have that long-termism in place and short-termism is the, the 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 approach these days right so like if it doesn't work immediately you're under so much pressure to have results that many teams are just going to move managers on and that's been the thing for Spurs we talked before about how it was almost like Daniel Levy had this idea that this is what an elite club is like you get it to a stage where you can bring in Antonio Conte you can bring in Jose Mourinho but I don't think that that works now in 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 this day and age it's not quite so simple as just being able to bring in a manager who was successful 10 years ago and therefore be able to recreate the success. I know that Antonio Conte has been more successful more recently, but I, I think that's that's why managers like Julian Nagelsmann are so well sought after, I think, now, because they are able to control... They're, they're able to coach teams to be able to control every phase of play. And it feels as though managers like Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho were, were very good at very specific game approaches. And when those game approaches stopped working, they didn't have a huge amount to recommend them to these elite sides. So I think that's why Nagelsmann will... I, I mean, I, I think that's probably why he won't go to Spurs because, as you said, like there's a huge amount of risk involved in him going there. And managers are quite different to players, aren't they? Because a player can go to a club... I was thinking about this the other day. Like We've talked a lot about how teams at the bottom of the Premier League can compete with AC Milan in, in order to get player signatures... Because they know that if they, even if they go to, let's say someone signs for Bournemouth and they go down, they know that they'll be able to move on to another Premier League side. Whereas managers don't have that same... Screwed. Yeah, if a manager takes a team and they and they go down, unless they're Jesse Marsh, in which he, case he seems to get endless offers of jobs. But Where is he now? Well, he's waiting around for the US men's national team job, isn't he? <laughs> as far as I can tell. But most managers, I think you can't take, like you say, taking the, the Spurs job would be would be a risk because if it doesn't go well, people will say, well, he failed at Bayern and then he failed at Spurs and yeah. then that's it. Your your career trajectory is is changed. You can't then you can't then be perceived as being an, an elite manager. So yeah, you end up in this situation where elite managers, as we're talk as I'm calling them, whatever that means, but these elite managers, mainly it's to do with perception and you have to go to the big clubs because 
you have to be perceived as an elite manager. So he'll go to somewhere like Madrid, where you know you're okay. You've got to you've got to compete with Barcelona, but all you need to do is com- compete with them, do well in the Champions League a few times, and, and you'll be okay. Whereas with Spurs, it feels to me a little bit more like you have to develop that, that club culture and you have to bring through players. You have to get everything right yeah. in order for it to work yeah, out. Yeah, but if, then if it doesn't work out, you can blame everyone else. Yeah, and that's you're absolutely true. Fine. That is true. Um, Christian Stellini will take acting head coach charge for the remainder of the season. Oof, that's a... That's a thing, and uh, and to the uh, to the words of uh, Ruben Pinder from last week, uh, they have give it Mace as assistant <laughs> for the rest of the season, so that's grand. Um, uh, Julian Nagelsmann, Julian, Julian, sorry, not Julian, Julian, Julian Nagelsmann's hobbies are here. Apparently, he uh, played ice hockey uh, for three years and some other stuff. Uh, Mountain my, biking and skiing. He is a vegetarian for two reasons. Apparently, this is official. Because this must be in Wikipedia. Uh, most important for him was animal welfare. Second, so he has ranked them, uh, is environmental protection. So there we go. Exciting. Uh, just another little note, finally, because I don't even know what day of the week it is now since we started recording. Uh, Street Fighter also had a character called Joe. So, uh, was the first American opponent in the original Street Fighter and an underground kickboxing champion. What? I don't yeah. know what his second name was. I only know Street Fighter 2. I don't think there is... There is a little Street Fighter, but no one knows that one. Joe Devine, I believe. Joe. Is, is I think it is Joe. That's why Joe is not here today. He's Joe actually Diva. participating in underground kickboxing championships. They're, ren- they're rendering him. They're, uh, <laughs> That's right, yeah. They're putting the bobbles on and the ping pong balls <laughs> so they can put Joe Devine into Street Fighter 2. And he would be very much a Zangief character. <laughs> I think we should all just sit on that thought for a moment. And we can do that as we have a break. Tottenham fans, he's gone. So now what? Join me, Danny Kelly, Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore on the biggest Spurs podcast on the planet this week as we try to unpick Daniel Levy's brain and ponder where the club should go next in the post-Antonio Conte era. Just search for The View from the Lane wherever you get your podcasts. It's going to be a cracker. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And that was the break. I hope it was lovely for you. Yeah. It. Uh, right, this part of the podcast is going to be where we imagine what if we had a really good uh, sort of planning meeting, didn't we, last week? <laughs> and this is what we thought would be a good we, idea. We chatted for I 30 minutes and then we're like, we better put something in the running order. And you said, what about if we make it a hypothetical yeah, episode? And we it's did highly made up section. Mm. I think at that point, JJ, you were fiddling with the zoom filters <laughs> I which was actually i mean i think don't that know could what be we're talking about oh there's podcast. a meeting yeah sorry i wasn't yeah. listening to what was no, going on there yeah, a bit like the meeting in fact <laughs> so um let's throw up some what ifs um such as what if the Todd bowley project fails at chelsea well that's horribly 
cynical. Mm. Um, they're pumping in loads into it. Graham Potter's going to remain their head coach forevermore. I think we've decided that. That's a good experiment. What is the plan for the plan? What what would be failure? Yeah, that's, that's the, a good that's question. The, that's the question, isn't it? What, what are they trying to do? What, consti- what, what constitutes failure for, for Todd Bowley? And success. Hmm. I mean, it's billions and billions of pounds. So they're probably not going to get their money back. Yeah, again, we, we're sort of in Spurs territory here as well because I feel as though Chelsea lumped on a very specific approach to being a football club under Roman Abramovich, right, which was put a lot of money in and then have this sort of short-termist attitude to coaches. So you'd have great players and you would bring in a coach until he didn't work anymore. Then you'd bring another big coach in and and, and they, obviously it worked. They they won, I think, 17 trophy, major trophies, major trophies. Um, that's the big Glad five. The big five. Yeah. Um, they did stay on all the time. Yeah. Across, I think it was it 20, it's 20 years roughly, wasn't it, where he was in charge of the club. But actually, if you look at those, though, they're definitely front loaded in terms of, I think, the importance of them. So there was the Champions League win uh, more recently, but I think they, they last won the champion, the, the Premier League in 2017, 18. Was that Mourinho's second stint? Or 16, right. around then. Yeah, around then, around that's then. that sort of time. Um, but since then, they haven't really competed at all. I had a, a look for an illustrated script where we were looking at how Chelsea have actually dropped off quite considerably in the in the Premier League hunt. They've they've always been more than I think nineteen points away from the um, the the eventual winner in the last five editions of the of the Premier League. So I feel as though obviously that that approach worked for them for a while. This sort of almost like Galactico approach, right, where you spend money, bring in short-term coaches get the most out of those players. But the Premier League moved on and, and we got Guardiola and we got Klopp and now we have Arteta. So it's very much more system-based. And I think in many respects, you can argue that that previous approach has held Chelsea back because they they weren't able to compete with these more long-term strategies. So, but did it though? Because they won all those trophies. Well, until five years ago, yeah. you, you get you get Liverpool and, and, and Manchester City trading blows for the Premier League. And I think I feel as though that's... That's now the reality, right? To to win the Premier League, you have to do something quite different to, to in the in the last five years to the preceding whatever it was, fifteen years under under Abramovich. So I think the the way that I'm maybe this is a charitable reading of Todd Bowley, but the way that I'm reading it is that he's realised that you can't just bring bring in really expensive players. You do have to have a system manager as well. That's why he brought in Graham Potter. And the big question is going to be like how how long does his nerve forever? Graham Potter will never leave Chelsea. It's, it's what's going to happen though, right? It's based it's on his other, his other businesses or the, the clubs that he owns that they've had the manager in place for the long time so they build with them to make sure everything's structured that way because it's the best way to make use of players as assets because they're yeah, really expensive American players. Thing, right? it's, yeah. it's, American sports have a much less like short-term strategy when it comes to general managers. But I, I, feel like, I feel like we maybe everyone underplays just the level of transition and change at Chelsea from just being bankrolled from just a Russian oligarch who was mm. just ploughing in all of the money from the result of him uh, leaving and the sanctions that were in place cost him a huge amount. There's a massive amount of change, never mind yeah. trying to bring in a whole load of players. So to have that amount of change and also sustain a level where you are competing with teams that are at that level, they've got all the finance they need and they're stable. It's just that's unrealistic anyway, isn't it? Well, they say they're in line with FFP, but obviously they've, well, Chelsea just announced their finances for the year Today, I think, came out. With Monday, we're recording this. And they made a net loss of £121.3 million in that 21-22 year because of the sanctions and uh, and things like that. So 
That doesn't sound too bad to me. Yeah, well, it's because they they did a lot of player trading. Right. So they sold like Zuma and Gay and Abraham and players like that. So like their their long term strategy had been buying these players, put them all out on loan, and it's worked very well because some of them, well, very few break through, but some do. And I mean, like well, Mason Mount is a good example, I suppose, Reese James, and then they sell other ones for lots of money. But even if you bring in a player for free and you pay him a bunch of wages for a bunch of time and sell them for twelve million. It's good. But they can buy in players for eight and then sell them for 20 a couple of years later just by virtue of them being in the Premier League or associated with it for a bit. And so. I guess the amount of players that they brought in, they're only paying for that first instance of the contract, which is why they've given them long old contracts. Yeah, they've amortised them yeah. over eight years, haven't yeah. they? So that, that so, makes things easier. When should we start judging the Chelsea? Can we I think it's way too early. It? It's way too early what to judge. Four now? years? I don't know. It's, tr- it's tricky. Put a, put a year on it, like, John. The, I want thi- a date. the thing is, right, as a fan, you want to see immediate results and you want to feel as though you're watching something that's enjoyable and you're enjoying the football and I do have sympathy for Chelsea fans who just feel as though that hasn't been the case under under Potter but at the same time as you've mentioned what's essentially happened is that this club has changed ownership the new owner has got rid of everything he's just sort of torn all of the infrastructure apart and and reintroduced it so I, I think it's it's unrealistic to expect any situation I think really where Chelsea would have been doing well this season I think once you've you've got a summer under your belts and you've brought started bringing in players according to um what what you feel as though you need and the manager has a full pre-season and stuff then you can start being quite quite critical in a in a in a more long-term sense I think like the big question is at what point do we say this isn't working for Potter he isn't achieving the things that you need in order to be on that on that trajectory up towards wherever it is that you're wanting to go but we were, were saying before like when did that happen with Arteta it the first couple of seasons under Arteta, despite the fact that there are people out there who say, oh, I always knew that it was going to come good. Like, that's how they sound. That's how they sound, yeah. I've, I think that's I think that's a little bit incongruous. I don't think that a lot of us did. Certainly I didn't. There's um, so much to to show that it wasn't working. I remember seeing yeah. clear things like as a, a basic like, tactics person looking at it. They finished eighth yeah. two seasons in a row. Like exactly. that's not. They, I mean, you can talk about like infrastructural changes, but in terms of what was going on on the field, I don't think it was obvious that that this was going to happen now. And I was looking at the BBC journalists' predictions for this season from before the season, and I think there was twenty of them or so on the thing. There was only about four of them who even had Arsenal in the top four, and they were all in fourth place. It's we can't pretend that this has has been inevitable because barely anyone really picked it. That, I always find that fascinating because people say, oh, just give the manager time. But it's never just about giving someone time. You can give a really ban- yeah. oh, what, a bad manager, someone where it's not working, all the time in the world. It won't necessarily it would look, get better. And it would look exactly the same, right? That's the problem is but, that you've got two, a good manager and a bad manager and it both looks bad. Like, how do you determine exactly when do you know? good and which one's Hindsight, bad? Yeah. It's like this yeah. podcast. When do we know whether it's... <laughs> yeah. just, well, it brings us back <laughs> to quantum physics and how... <laughs> We, it's all happening now and in the past and in the future well, and there's a way to see it that's part three JJ is it okay uh, Chelsea last won the Premier League in 1617 which yes. is what I said right is that what yes, I said yes I think it was I don't know I can't remember can we, it was can a long we, time can we ago. edit it to make it sound sh- like I is, knew what I was talking about even if you didn't thanks Steve even if it wasn't no. what you said it was what you meant <laughs> and that was under Antonio Conte obviously mm. yes oh yeah not full, not cir- really. full circle oh I just thought it was a funny I wasn't trying to correct you John I just thought it was a funny if Jose Mourinho was 2000 was it 15 16. Yeah. No, that was Leicester. No, it doesn't matter. Leicester won it in that year, so it might have been 14, 15, maybe. What if Jurgen Klopp leaves Liverpool in the summer? Hey, that's a good one, isn't it? What if? Can we all picture that now? I suppose we'd have to talk about it, wouldn't we, JJ, rather than just 
Do you think there's any it. chance this is going to happen? Or are we, we no. just accepting this? <laughs> no, we just... You don't think it is? Do you think there's no reality where that happens? I can't see it. No, because they're building... I mean, they're going to try and do the whole Bellingham and thing, aren't they? Well, are the, they? the noises seem or to mounts. be coming out suggesting that like they're less likely to get these players now, um, it feels like. Didn't Steven Gerrard try and sign him during... <laughs> the coverage of England-Ukraine. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yesterday. It feels like it's a weekly occurrence now, is it, that some England, uh, sorry, some Liverpool former or current player is just tapping up Jude Bellingham and being like, you, you've got to come and join it's us. To do it. Is he not a Liverpool fan because he loved Stephen Gerrard, though? Is that not a thing? Is that right? I don't, I I don't no know. Idea. I may be making that He up. must be a Birmingham We probably should put it on a surely. podcast listened to by many people, should I? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and certainly people won't fact-check you on that. That's what I've learned from, yeah. from the comments. Oh, good. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is one point in here that I quite like with the Alexander Arnold thing, and I was thinking about this. Jimmy Carragher wrote his column in the Telegraph recently, and he said that it's a, a similar argument we talk about loads is that he should be a midfielder. That's where his skill set should be because teams have figured out how to do him in at right back. I think that I watched the Real Madrid game against Liverpool, and Vinicius Junior clearly thought or just knew he could go past. Alexander Arnold whenever he wanted to and so he was trying things I don't think he would try against other defenders I don't think he would try it against Reese James even because he know that it, he just couldn't do it couldn't get away with it and there's a real weakness there which it's just, you can see it and they, they target it in different ways he's not a bad defender nor is he a bad player he's an amazing player that we all know and you might think his skill thing, his skill set is suited to be in the middle, but then he's got different he's quite like Bajetic. Like if Bajetic played at right back he'd be a similar sort of player but it might just be that Klopp's now changing the way his team plays because the way that they use Alexander-Arnold, giving him space in these wide areas before people figured it out how to stop it, um, that's why he was so good because he was doing things from a deeper right-back role. It wasn't right-back. He was essentially a midfielder just playing at right-back in defensive things and Liverpool had control of games so they were able to dominate. Therefore, he wasn't so isolated at right-back and they moved his position back to being more of a right-back. He's even sometimes a central centre-back, sometimes alongside the other two and sometimes he's in the midfield trying to do that thing that everyone does with a 3-2 shape now, building up. And uh, it might be that he has to change the way he wants to play because if there's a weakness, you think you want to fix it, but you can't drop him because he's too good. He's too important to the team. You'd never sell him. So what do you do with it? Where would you play him? I mean, just right back. I know. 4-4-2. Four, four, <laughs> well, no, but... It, it, Overlap. It depends, Overlap. It depends on the whole thing works. You've got to give him protection. But he doesn't get it from Salah in that current system. It's Salah makes it more dangerous for Alexander-Arnold on that side. And when they don't have... There's a, a clip, I think, I can't remember who's doing analysis here. It might have been on BT Sport. And they were showing how the midfield three in, um, in front of the, the back two. So I think you had, I think it was Kanate and Van Dijk were behind the midfield three. And it was Fabinho, Harvey Elliott and someone else, right, on, on the left. And like the space, like Harvey Elliott's positioning is just off by about two or three yards. But that two or three yards means there is a passing angle open or a lane open. That shouldn't be. And like, like if you see that two, three yards, if you're a really good player, you go, I can make that pass. But if the guy stands in that lane, you go, I won't try it just in case. And because he's not there, it then means that bit is open because Harvey Elliott plays in the right. So again, you've got no protection from Salah, no protection from Elliott there. And then so everything's going through that sort of side. But if you have a better defender there, who's just a defensive kind of player, you lose a lot of your attacking impetus from that side. And then and we have this conversation all the time, don't we? I'm boring myself. We should just delete this whole bit from the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We've done it before. Well, the what ifs is going really well. I'm, en I'm enjoying it. I think there's an interesting angle here, which is, you know, what, what do Liverpool look like without Klopp, regardless of when it happens? Because it's been, what, seven years? This is his eighth season since he's been here. I can't think, I can't really remember Liverpool before Klopp, like, functionally. And I also feel as though Liverpool are quite different to a lot of other big teams, right? So not only is it that 
it's hard to imagine Liverpool without Klopp. It's almost hard to imagine Liverpool not playing the way that they play now. And the big question is going to be like at that point where Jurgen Klopp leaves, which is going to happen at some point. Like, who on earth do you go for? Who do you who do you get? Nagelsmann. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. here we go. Done. He should just move to Liverpool, loiter, and then Jurgen Klopp. So, so Nagelsmann waits until the summer to see what jobs come up. Liverpool fired Jurgen Klopp, or Jurgen Klopp decides to move on, or whatever. However, it happens. And then Nagelsmann goes to Liverpool. It's all solved. Talking about managers that move on, uh, we can do that in a moment. But before we do that, let's have a break. There could be a vacancy at Real Madrid. What if Carlo Ancelotti left Real Madrid to take over Brazil? That could happen. People are talking about it. Edison was asked about it over the international break. And he played it down by saying, yes, please. Make him my international manager. There was a few Madrid players as well who were asked about it as well, I think, during the international break. Uh, and they were joking that he, that Ancelotti had said, oh, you'll be the first names on the on the team sheet. Because uh, obviously there's a few Brazilian players at Madrid at the moment. So. Amazing. Like, yeah. I would like to see Brazil managed by Carlo Ancelotti. That sounds fun, JJ. Would they have gone out to Croatia at the World Cup if Carlo had been in charge? I don't know. I don't really watch Brazil unless it's in the World Cup. Exactly. So we wouldn't really see it, would we? No. So there's that to think about. He's a great manager. I like Carlo Ancelotti a lot. One of our uh, most watched videos in TIFO IRL is a thing we did on Carlo Ancelotti and what he actually does. But a big explanation of how he manages and what he has achieved and in the manner that he achieved it. I think the, the interesting thing about Ancelotti going to Brazil brings us back to what we were talking about with Nagelsmann before. So we talked about how Julian Nagelsmann has used two styles of play, very different styles of play at Bayern Munich this season, one of which was trying to be a little bit more direct and focus on player uh, roles, skill sets, and, and, and get players close around the ball so you can use uh, their skill sets to be able to be more dangerous than, than spreading them all out in a positional way. And this is a debate which happens in Brazil a lot because uh, I think there's there's been long debates about the positional ideas being like European ideas that have just been imposed on the Brazilian game. But as we know, Brazilian football is all about these getting these really skillful players together, being able to vibe off one another. Four two four. Yeah, exactly. The exciting, yeah. the exciting Brazil that we we came to love so much in in, um, in in previous decades as well. So the big, I think one of the big debates that they have in Brazil is should we? They, so for example, Chiche, the the previous manager, went across to Europe, spent some time learning from European managers, came back and imposed what is often perceived of as being a more European style uh, on Brazil. And every time Brazil got knocked out of a competition under Chiche, it was always, is it because he's Impose this European style to the detriment of our of our game of the of the Brazilian game, um, and I think uh, Carlo Ancelotti is often held up as being an example of a manager in Europe who plays a little bit more of that of that um, less structured, less positional approach. Is very good at, at responding to what it is that the players want and need with their with their skill sets. Is going to be much happier to let them solve problems on the pitch in their own way as well. So I think that it's kind of an interesting option because I think it would go weirdly towards um, responding to that thing about making the, the Brazilian game more Brazilian by bringing in a non-Brazilian coach but I think that yeah. would be a fascinating one for to see it unfold. There's also uh, like a theory I have is well, not that I have, I'm sure everyone has it but if you just have players who, some players just naturally click and work together, some just understand what the other is doing and why they're doing it they have an inherent sense of what it is and you can try and coach people to do things but they don't inherently know it you just can't make it happen. You think like Kroos, Modric and Casemiro at Real Madrid is one of the best midfield threes of all time, like, in my mind, without doubt. And I'm sure it's been coached and they worked with each other, but they intrinsically know where to be and when and why. 
And I doubt they'd ever had to talk about it. They'd just sort of get it. You'll get some players who just know where the other ones are. I think the players like Wayne Rooney, and I've talked about this in the past, they just sort of understand where the players are likely to be. And you can tell someone that well, he'll be in the left wing because that's where he should be and it helps you predict things, but some players just naturally work together. And Ancelotti gets these chemical matches together and makes that work. So he'll make a good team play very well, which is what you want to have a manager without doing anything, not giving them a strict system to be in. He puts them on the pitch in a way that will make him win and then uh, lets them be able to make the decisions for themselves on the pitch. So when you have players who are good at decision-making and are technically gifted like you'd have at Brazil, that in theory should work as long as he gives them defensive structure. I always think it's interesting for a manager when they get to the point where they're like, yeah, I'm going to do international football now. You must have to go, I just fancy a bit more of my own, a bit more me time. You know, because it's, yeah. it's less busy, isn't it? Must be less busy. Uh, you know, less day-to-day training, yeah. yeah. So they have, What do they do? We'll only get two short weeks and they would only have, I'd guess, about five training days a lot of the time to, with two matches. And watch players. And watch players, Hello, I'm yeah. coming to watch you. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a good gig. Off you go, Carlo. He might, he might go, he might not. Uh, what if Gavi leaves for free? If he was to leave Barcelona, that could happen, couldn't it, JJ? That could definitely, ha- it could really happen. Well, the setup <laughs> for this is that uh, because of legal and financial reasons, Barcelona, have they can't give Gavi the contract that they offered him when he signed, I think it was September or something like that. Ripped it up. He's got to go back to being a youth player and he can't have his number six anymore. Uh, oh, so, no, really? Yeah. What number is he again? I don't know, actually. I've not, oh, I've not actually a stipulation. I think 89. So. Is that to make it was think... An, it was in an article in The Athletic, so I'm hoping it's true. <laughs> Is that to make <laughs> them think that he isn't like a starting 11 player? They'll be like, well, he's number 56. So. It's to do with that registration. With that. So they can't register him as a first-team player, therefore he can't have that number because it's already registered, but I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand this bit, right? So don't... I don't know enough don't about quote you on it, yeah, but you have said it now. On a podcast watched by many people, yeah. So <laughs> I think we got away with it. Yeah, yeah. Carry <laughs> on, move on quickly. Gavi is absolutely brilliant. And so the idea is that because of this contract he's on, he could leave for free at the end of the season. Yes. But he's not going to do that because he loves Barcelona. Like he's, he was doing slide tackles with his head the other day. Like the oh. guy's committed. He loves that club. Um, they, Barcelona obviously are in trouble. They've got to cut about 200 million euros out of their salary, which is absolutely insane again if only they'd have seen this coming yeah I mean so they, they were banking on Champions League football and when that went wrong they worked out they could fill another shortfall by reaching the Europa League final and obviously got punted out by Man United so that's bad they're, they're likely to win La Liga but that's not a huge financial difference what they get it's a major Champions trophy. League football major trophy so they've got lots of players on big money and they will need to cut uh, a few out they, they don't have any or any big levers left to pull they've already kind of done that so they need to find a way to cut money from player sales players like Frankie de Jong will be likely I mean like players like Gerard Piquet retired halfway through Busquets might take a really cheap contract and stay on if he stays they have a bit of a turnover um, this summer will be very interesting at Barcelona because like they want to build around Pedri and Gavi two of the best players probably in the world not just young players, like they're absolutely incredible. Like Gavi just runs games on his own. He's like 18, 17, something. It's, it's funny, isn't it's it? It's insane. That, they, that all of these levers were pulled and then the, the two of the most important players just came through yeah. the academy. And Baldi as well, and yeah. like left, left wing back is coming through. They've got a good team coming through, but uh, I mean, they've relied on players like Frankie de Jong and that would be where they could easily make a bit of money at Man United. So if you sell Frankie for like 80, 90 million euros, and then you get his very high wages off the bill. Like suddenly you're already looking much better and you're in a position where you can start buying players again. So the crux of this is that Gavi is now on a contract where he will 
legally be offered on a free. He could go anywhere else, yeah. But where would he go? Like, where if, would you if, put him, John? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, he could go any. He could go anywhere. I know right? he could, but um, you've got the choice. Where would you're I? The, you're his agent. You've been on the phone. I mean, where okay. would you? So I have you... to do it completely on. I mean, because I'd send him to Leeds, obviously. <laughs> but I don't think that. I don't. I, I would like to point out this Are you point. About to say don't, you don't think I it's don't going think this to happen. Is going to happen. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, on this whole what if imagination <laughs> section, that seems fair enough. Apparently, his shirt will change from the six he currently wears. This is Gavi to his old number, which was thirty. Oh, that's good. Presumably, it was his old number before he signed his contract. What's the number that Messi wore? I think when he came through at Barcelona. So it's obviously a bit of things for that. That's why he wears it at PSG. There we go. Gavi, Gavi, is and Pedri. <laughs> I mean, you've said it now. It, it becomes true. No one's going to check. Well, that is the thing. I can see anything, and maybe yeah. people. Yeah, as I said, people don't fact check anything. That is how you, the world actually you works can, now. Yeah. You, you, it doesn't even matter if it's true or not. You just need enough people to believe what you're saying. Uh, just tweet about it. Put the tweet out, and then you can say, "I saw it on Twitter." It's your tweet, but you're referring to it. And what it's, numbers did he have? Does it tell yeah, you? That's how a lot of religions probably start. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't think Twitter is right. He was. I was right. No, maybe started, not. Not that bit. I was right. He was. His first number was thirty when he when he broke through the first team, and then it was nineteen. So I knew he had a different number before ten. It doesn't even matter yeah. if you're right, though, JJ. Now you've told everyone you were right. That's important. <laughs> yeah, so, like, Gavi and Pedri. People talk about them in the same breath. Is it because they both have names that end in I? Is that is that it? Well, they're very, both very young, and they're sort. They're not the same player. They're quite different, but they do things. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like people. Pedri, I don't know. I I really like Pedri and I really like Gavi, but I, I feel like Pedri is a lot better than Gavi is. But I feel as though Gavi maybe gets a little bit more. I think they do different things, though. That's the thing. Yeah, I, yeah. So I think Pedri is one of the best midfielders. Just that that there is. Yeah, he's basically Modric, but really young and just reads the game slightly differently. Like you compare the two, mm. Gavi would be more of the Iniesta because he plays further forward and can be a winger and a striker. Like a you know a forward, not a striker, but uh, Pedri's more of the yeah yeah. He's yeah. he's creative in that way. But Gavi is like super good out of possession as well, yeah. which I think people means people probably do undervalue him slightly as well. But I do feel as though like because they're both young Spanish players whose name ends in I, people sort of just lump them together. You're saying people might be lazy. I'm saying people so, might be lazy. Oh yes, my goodness. All right. Well, so so try really hard then, guys. If we we've got Gavi. He's deaf, you know, he's free, free agent. He's there. Where would be great for him to go to spread his wings, to free himself of the shackles of being lazily compared to <laughs> Pedri? Where would you, where, where could he go? Well, Anywhere. I watch most Premier League football, so I want him to go to a team there and he could play for anyone, absolutely any team. Well, the obvious one comparison would be like Man City, but like that's where he'd go and then be more limited to what he can do. But Does he remind you of Bernardo Silva? Uh, yeah, I mean, Pedri's quite similar to Bernardo Silva as well in the way that he can probably play anywhere, drop deep, keep the ball. You can have four players trying to attack him at once from different angles and you can get out of it. Yeah. Gavi would just be great in any team. Like Liverpool, Man City. Uh, yeah. Next to Bruno. Yeah, he just, but Gavi should play for the absolute best teams who are competing for the Champions League. He can play for Newcastle in three or four years when they might be there. Tottenham. <laughs> Why are you laughing, John? <gasps> Uh, yeah, maybe in three or four years when when they get there. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yes. Anywhere else you'd like to send him? Um, well, I don't know. We, 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 another name that has been on people's radar of moving from their club, who I think is actually quite a similar sort of player, is, is Mason Mount, right? He's a, he's a player who's quite flexible. He's good out of possession. He's a, a player who's been brought through his youth team at the club that he's at. So, yeah, maybe if uh, people are talking about Mason Mount moving. Um, there's lots of rumbles about yeah. that aren't there? whether or not that means that Chelsea would be happy to bring in Gavi I don't know but I'm, I'm with JJ I think he, you know, he could play 
He could play anywhere. Um, and uh, I've, I mentioned out of possession stuff quite a lot because I think one, players who are good out of possession are often undervalued. And I think people look at players and they think if he runs around a bit, then they're good at out, out of possession stuff. Whereas I think one of the reasons why Gavi has played in the way that he's played by Xavi is that you can play him in that front three, get him dropping inside, helping out in the midfield, but you can also use him as as one of your front line in the press as well. Um, and that's really, really important as well. And as as time goes by, elite sides need players who are going to be good at the out-of-possession side of things as well as the in-possession side of things as well. So any team which is thinking smartly about out-of-possession, pressing how to control teams would, would really love a player like Gavi because I think he's going to be able to... You know, you, he's the sort of player that you can get in your front line of press, and you can let them do the pressing, and they will control that the, the the first line of pressure. And I think, yeah, super important. I bet Liverpool would be instantly amazing if they had. This is so obvious to see if they had Jude play- Bellingham and Mason Mount. <laughs> well, <laughs> Mason Mount, yeah, but in the two eight spots, yeah, because Mount would be more like Wijnaldum, and Bellingham is very box to boxy, so he can just do everything. It changes the profile of players, but you've got Fabinho yeah. to do that job there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The six. yeah, yeah. Bring in a new six and then just become unbeatable. What yeah. if Bellingham doesn't go to Liverpool? Uh, he'll go to Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> Would he, should he not just stay at Dortmund for another year? I saw it sort of suggested on Twitter. How was he? 19? Maybe he could stay for another year. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course he could. Yeah, I mean, he could do. But like, Bellingham plays like he's 26 or seven and has already either won trophies or like he plays like he has. It's, it, I don't know how this guy is so mature. What's happened to him? Or what Weetabix he ate? Even oh, listening to him speak after games, he seems way more mature than most. I don't he know seems what, older than me. <laughs> I don't know what they're and doing. I'm Twenty at the years Dortmund, older than almost like at the Dortmund mental. press office, but like they seem to produce a lot of very smart kids when it comes to when it comes to speaking in post match interviews. Because uh, Erling Haaland did the the post match after his five goals for against Leipzig, and it, he was super smart as well. Um, so they clearly they clearly learning them up on something but yeah I think th- there's plenty of interesting possible combinations of players who can move this summer I think with Bellingham to answer your question why would he not stay on is you always I think you're always in that point right where something bad could happen so if you get to it if you get to, if he gets to the summer and he's everyone's wanting to sign him and then he stays on at Dortmund and breaks his leg or something that's a that's a bad thing to happen, right? Whereas, <laughs> so I, I think that, that is quite. Yes. I think the pressure always is going to be from an agent. If you get an offer from a big club that is acceptable to your your club, then then they'll just accept it, and um, it feels as though that's the way it's going. And also depends if you want to compete at the very highest level. Like mm. Dortmund are not going to win the Champions League. It's very very unlikely. They're not going to win. The, they're probably not going to win the title. It's, so your limit is what the limit is in the league you're in whereas if he goes somewhere like Liverpool he could compete for the title but City are probably the you know, ones who are going to win it most times but they would give him a chance to do that and then you could win there then you could go to Spain you could win there you could go back to Germany at Bayern and win there and be one of these players that wins in every country if you wanted to do that he's one of the few players in the world ever in history who will be able to choose each club he wants to go to whenever same as someone like Holland you know, they just go wherever they want because they can then win those things then you become decorated and then you can retire a very famous uh, successful that's more the important thing the successful person yeah as a person well, he's, he's, yeah. and then what and then what well then then he would eventually retire from football michael and he would grow older and then what be, he could probably, become a pundit couldn't he yeah do you think? think yeah well we've just said that they're really smart post match yeah. yeah. so. maybe he'd be a very good manager maybe mm-hmm. yeah, yeah what if eh? yeah maybe well, he becomes president of the world it could be by then yeah of fifa 
Oh. Uh, well, yeah. That's enough for this week's episode. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, thank you very much, JJ. Yes. Thank you, John. Thank you, Michael. I had a great fun today. Yeah, oh, thanks. You did trip over that sentence slightly, but I'm hoping that you meant it. I meant it from the bottom of my heart. Yes. Um, thank you to Steve and Jamie, who have been uh, doing stuff in their box. Very important. Uh, we'll be back next week. I won't be back next week. Um, don't cheer too loudly. Uh, neither will Joe Devine. Because he's not back next week either. So what if what? there's no one to host the podcast next week? It might week? just be you two. Yeah, we'll, just, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it. Yeah. Live. Until then, enjoy it. And goodbye. Athletic.